On today's show, Atlanta Hawks go into Denver and lose by a final score of 128 to 108. It was much closer than that, though. The Hawks, I thought, battled valiantly down the stretch. It was an impossible spot for Atlanta schedule-wise, in particular without Trey Young, who was unavailable in this game. And the Hawks didn't play perfectly, but they were competitive. And we'll get into all of what transpired in this game and more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1405 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Saturday evening into Sunday, and today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can have a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That is prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. And I also want to encourage you at the top of the podcast, as always, to make us your first listen here at Locked On Hawks each and every day and wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, YouTube, etc. I do appreciate you listening to the show. It's been very, very busy this week on the podcast. And of course, that sort of culminates now with a back to back. If you missed anything from this week, I talked extensively on this podcast about myriad subjects, deadline, all of this, all the road trip coverage, etc. That includes a game last night on Friday into Saturday, and we'll have much more coming up this week as the deadline looms for the Hawks and the entire and the entire NBA actually on Thursday afternoon. Trade stuff is in the offing, but of course we focus on the games as well in this space. And today's episode is going to be breaking down what became a twenty point loss in Denver, but certainly more competitive than that in a lot of different ways. The Hawks are now five hundred on the season. Again, uh, dropping back to 27 and 27. They're now two and two on this road trip. And again, that's not too bad as we get into later on in this episode. And uh, notably, Trey Young unavailable in this game. He was a scratch with a non-COVID illness. He was in the arena and on the bench. He was being shown on the broadcast, but Trey was not one of the play in this game. And Atlanta would have been in a tough spot already with Trey and an even tougher spot without him. And generally speaking, this is not going to be a satisfying thing for me to say to anyone, but this is kind of a schedule loss. For the Hawks, we'll get into more of that in a second as well. But I thought the Hawks had a pretty good job and kind of a valiant job, honestly, until the floor kind of caved in with like four and a half, five minutes to go in the game. It was a spot where, you know, basically any team in the league would have been an underdog tonight to the Nuggets with this current situation, uh, having to travel and all that stuff, having to, having to play in Denver where the Nuggets have been awesome this year. And uh, you throw in Troy being out. The Hawks were only down by eight points with like six minutes to go in the game. And they definitely played, um, I would say, valiantly in this one, despite being shorthanded. On offense, you know, without Trey, this has been, a, I guess, kind of a controversial thing. I'm not sure why, but there's, I guess, there's a segment of the Hawks fan now that does not buy this, but it's just, it's, it's, it's very, it's very, very clear in the numbers. I know Murray's been playing a lot better recently, and that's notable and positive. But if you take out garbage time, like, like our friends at Cleveland the Glass do on their site, the Hawks are basically nine points per possessions better with Trey on the floor, and that includes 10 points better on offense this season. And the Hawks ended up with a 104 offensive rating in this game. That isn't a huge surprise. Without Trey, they're not very good on offense. Now, you know, Murray was good in this game, um, but it's never going to be enough to, to basically not, I shouldn't say never. Most of the time, that 104 of its break is not going to be enough to win on the road against Denver, who is a high powered offensive team. And, uh, you know, one of the big reasons why was the Hawks did not take a lot of threes in this game. And that's not an elixir, it doesn't always work that way. But without Trey, especially, but the Hawks are always a low point three a low three point volume team. It's been frustrating all these all season long. I talked about that a lot on this podcast. And uh, but not only does Trey take threes, he's also their number one uh, guy who sets them up. So without Trey, they were not able to get a lot of threes off in this game. And the Hawks attempted forty five shots from between four feet 
and 23 feet, which is three-point line. Basically, all two-point shots outside of four feet. The Hawks took 45 shots from that range. They actually shot okay-ish on those shots in this game, but the math problem was very clear for Atlanta. They only took 23s, whereas Denver took 38 threes. And the Nuggets did shoot better on those three on those three than the Hawks did. But basically, when you when you take a lot of mid-rangers, you have to be awesome at that compared to a team making a lot of threes. And that was tough. This is not a perfect way to look at this, but I think it's destructive. And stay with me here. Um, the Hawks were 28 out of 65 from every shot they took, twos or threes, outside of four feet in this game. 28 of 65. The Nuggets were 29 of 60. So relatively similar outside of four feet, but obviously the Nuggets were a little bit better. Not a ton, but a little bit better. But the big difference is that Denver, they made 29 shots from that range, right? Uh, those shots were worth 73 points because you were combining twos and threes, 73 points from the Nuggets outside of the paint. The Hawks had 28 makes again, and they were only worth 62 points because the Hawks took a lot more twos than threes. And the math problem there is not great. You basically, you had one fewer make and 11 fewer points, and that is tough. So anyway, the Hawks did shoot pretty decently on twos in this game. 56 points in the, paint, in the paint in this game as well. But uh, overall, they were kind of not able to kind of overcome all of that stuff when you factor in the possession battle stuff as well because the Hawks lost the free throw battle in this game. They lost the re- rebounding battle in this game and the turnover battle in this game. And if the Hawks do those three things, they have to shoot the ball incredibly well to win, and they didn't in this game. It was better after halftime. That is notable for sure, but they could not overcome 16 turnovers in the game. The Hawks average about 12 or 13 per game. That's not a terrible number, but it's not great either. And they were also below average off the rebounding and free throw, free throw creation in this game, all of which is uh, kind of feeding into the substandard offensive performance overall. I will say again, Murray was very good at 28 and 10. He was not alone. The Hawks didn't play like miserably bad on offense in this game, but they weren't great on that end of the floor. And then defensively, it's worth noting that the Nuggets are number one in the league in offense this year and number one in shooting. So they're basically awesome on offense. Uh, Jokic is the biggest reason why. He's a two-time MVP, obviously. But they have Jamal Murray, who was great in this game. They have Michael Ward Jr. Who's up, I'm, not, I'm not the biggest poor Jr. guy in the world, but he's obviously a very good offensive player. Um, and they have uh, – they lost KCP in this game, but they were uh, – they're pretty good on offense, let's just say. So the Hawks end up with a 123 defensive rating. That's a number where you're going to lose most of the time, obviously. It was very bad in the first half, about 140. Um, second half, actually pretty good. The Hawks, they were pretty pretty feisty until the last few minutes of the game. But Denver still, for the game, shot 40% from three, 51% from the, from the field, had 32 assists, and 13 turnovers. And those numbers are incredibly good. And the Hawks were at least feisty at times defensively, but that was not going to be quite enough. Murray was out of his mind, and honestly, if you run into the Nuggets and they and you get that version of Murray, they are hard to beat because he's not their best player, Jokic is, but Murray had 41 points on 24 shots. And if he does that to you, there are a lot of them are, they're very contested. Murray's not a guy who's going to create a ton of open looks. He's just like he, he makes shots off the dribble a lot, and uh, he had it going in this game, and that was kind of the death blow for the Hawks down the stretch. They did a pretty de- uh, decent job on, on Jokic in this game, actually. Jokic uh, ended up having 14 points, 18 rebounds, and 10 assists, but he wasn't like totally dominant. He was very good, as he always is, but he wasn't, uh, at least scoring-wise, super dominant this game. And especially Kong, we did a good job on in the, in the second half, which we'll come back to later on in the podcast. But something to note here as well, Denver had 19 fast break points, and uh, some of that was the transition defense being pretty messy for the Hawks in this game. Again, they didn't play perfectly, and I am sure 
as sort of a bridge to my last topic here at the top of the podcast, that this is at least partly due to the heavy legs. Maybe Miller talked about heavy legs multiple times in the press conference after the game. And this is what I want to get to now. I know I got a couple of messages from people on Patreon and Twitter uh, kind of making fun of me a little bit for mentioning this, mentioning this so many times in the last week or so. But I'm going to do it one more time here for good measure. The point spread in this game, according to our friends at FanDuel, was the Hawks as 10-point underdogs in this game. Again, 10-point underdogs for Atlanta with one injury. Granted, it was Trey, granted it was Trey but only one injury in this game. Um, the Hawks did beat the Nuggets, actually, in Atlanta without Trey this year. But uh, all that to say... It was the largest point spread underdog that the Hawks were, uh, the Hawks have been so far this season. And they only had one, in- one injury in the game. They were nine and a half point underdogs in Memphis back in mid-December. And that was a game where if you're a diehard fan, you might remember this. The Hawks basically punted that game. They sat Trey, DeJounte, Collins, Capella, and Bogey on a back-to-back in Memphis and basically just assured themselves of a loss. And they lost by, I think, like 20 points in that game. That was the last time the Hawks were an underdog this big and actually were a bigger underdog tonight than they were then. And because, and basically, it speaks to the difficulty of the matchup, basically. And to only have one guy out, even if it is Trey, and still be the underdog by that much, tells you that this is an impossible schedule spot. The title of this podcast, I think, is going to be uh, something involving schedule loss, and that's it's, it's a it's a term that's thrown around in the league a lot. And uh, I'm not sure, but like, it doesn't mean you have to lose this game. But there are some schedule, some games on the schedule over 82 games where one team is in a very difficult situation. And this is one of those games for the Hawks. And it's referred to as a schedule loss because it's possible to overcome it, but it's hard to do. So, again, the Nuggets are really good, number one. They're number one in the West right now. They're 24, 24 and four at home this season. That speaks for itself. They had not lost, they still haven't lost in about, about two months with Jokic playing and at home. So, you throw in the rest advantage there for the Nuggets. They hadn't played uh, in two days. Denver has been home all week, whereas the Hawks have been on the West Coast road trip the entire time. And again, altitude. All that fun stuff. It makes life hard for, for opponents, even when they're not getting in very late, coming back from Salt Lake City overnight. And uh, one more thing here. Lauren Williams of the AJC had this stat after the game tonight. Over the last 20 seasons, NBA teams are 4-15 and 15 in Denver when they play in Salt Lake City the previous night. So basically, all that wrapped into one. The Nuggets are awesome this year. And the heavy legs matches were coming. It's impossible to attribute specific things to the situation or tired legs or altitude or whatever, but the Hawks lost on the margins in a way they don't usually lose on the margins. The defensive stuff was not always buttoned up in this game. The turnovers early on, etc. So all those factors come into play on in some form. I'm not saying the Hawks could win. In fact, yesterday I said, I said pointedly the Hawks definitely still could win this game. But in terms of, I said it one more time, one more, one last time here. This is probably the most difficult schedule spot of the entire season for Atlanta. When you take into account, Location, back-to-back, opponent, uh, altitude, and obviously you throw in Trey to make it even worse. And uh, yeah, that's kind of where I am on this one. So broadly speaking, yes, it's a loss. I think basically any loss right now causes at least some part of the fan base to panic and maybe overreact and get very mad. And I get all that. Uh, I always stress that like this is a long season, NBA games. You can't treat like college football games. You cannot just go up and down, up and down every single night in the NBA. And uh, honestly, I get the frustrations, and we'll get into some of why in, later on about the end of the game and rotations and all that stuff. But broadly speaking, I think this is not a, this is not a loss to be mad about. This is a schedule loss. This is a game the Hawks were quote unquote supposed to lose. If you're a ten point underdog, you're supposed to lose more often than not. So we'll get a, we'll get into all of what transpired in this game, and obviously there's stuff to observe and take away and kind of analyze. But that's kind of the big thing here is that this is a very tough, a very tough spot for the Hawks, and they battled the entire way. But uh, losing this game is not exactly a black mark on the organization at this point in time. 
All right, we'll have more on this game in a second when it comes to the game flow, as well as later on in the podcast, some player evaluations. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. If you're looking for your daily fantasy option this year, make sure you check out the award-winning app at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I know that I love it, and I know that you will as well. It's so very easy to use. I've been playing there for a while at Prize Picks. It's really a lot of fun. It's kind of a breezy setup as well. And all you have to do is pick two to six players and actually choose whether they have more or less than a certain number of points or rebounds or assists or fantasy points. A lot of different categories available to you at Prize Picks, and there went to 25 times. Yes, 25 times more on the money on your on each and every entry if you want to go ahead and go that route. They offer numbers on any sport you can think of. Beyond the NBA, of course, they have football stuff, NFL, college football. They have baseball. They have NHL and PGA and soccer and esports and much more. And a whole entry can be done just a minute or less. It's that quick and it's that easy. Plus, it's just you against the projected numbers. And they have safe and fast withdrawals of price picks. They're operating in more than 30 states now, in addition to Canada. And you download the price picks app or go to pricepicks.com right now to sign up and play DFS. And first time users can have a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 if you use the promo code locked on. Don't forget to enter that promo code locked on at sign up for the instant deposit match up to $100. Check it all out now at price picks. All right. And we'll dive in now to how the game actually flowed. And it's worth noting the Hawks actually have a top 10 road record in the NBA this year. They're not the great at home by any means, but they're in the top 10 of the league in road winning percentage so far, at least coming into the night they were. So that's at least encouraging. I mentioned it before, but Trey missed this game. He was actually listed as questionable with the non-COVID illness, ended up uh, not playing, was on the bench. And uh, hopefully he's back on Tuesday when the Hawks return to action in New Orleans. And uh, of note, as well on the injury-ish front. Like, Donovich played in this game. He was not listed in the injury report at all. Only the second time all year, Bogey played both ends of a back-to-back. The Hawks have been pretty careful with Bogey this year on, with the knee stuff, so perhaps an encouraging sign that he's uh, at least ready to go back-to-backs, at least when he's feeling pretty pretty good. And the Hawks were at full strength minus Trey, which is obviously the biggest loss that, that they could possibly have, but still, they had everybody else available in this one. Denver was at full strength because Jokic and Aaron Gordon both were questionable, ended up playing. Um, obviously, it would have been easier for the Hawks and better for the Hawks if they not played in this game. At the same time, I'm of the mind usually, at least in the regular season, that like you just want to play the games in front of you. Obviously, you know I get that fans, most fans just want to see the team win, and I get all that. Um, you know, Jokic is a fun player to watch, as is Gordon. So I think if you're a Hawks fan, you want to have that measured against the best teams in the league, and the Nuggets are playing very well right now. So I get all sides of that. But uh, anyway, Denver was uh, at full strength in this game. Um, as for the game itself, uh, AJ actually started in front of and sorry in place of Trey in this game. I generally like that. Um, I think Nate started Aaron Holiday last time that Trey missed the game. And I said then it felt like it was matchup based because they were playing a small team that had small guards and and against a team in Denver that does not have small guards. They went bigger and that, that was the right decision. Also, I think keeping Bogey's minutes down was probably part of that, too, because they, they, they've started Bogey at times when one of the guards has been out as well. But I like going with AJ. That was a good move. And that worked out pretty well, I thought, for the Hawks in this game. Um a lot of offense early on in this one. There were 37 points in the first five and a half minutes combined from these two teams. Both teams were shooting 7% from the floor uh, or higher at that point. The Hawks were actually 9 of 10 from the floor to start the game and up by one. So it was a barrage of offense in the early going. The Hawks made their first nine two-point attempts in the game. They did a good job attacking in the early going as well. Uh, rotationally, there was one surprise. It was Trent Forrest as the first sub for DeJounte Murray. Um, that's Murray kind of got the tray treatment in the first quarter of that brief mid-quarter sub. In the second half, actually didn't do that. But uh, Trent Forrest played, uh, let's see, role-wise, Trent didn't play like an overwhelming amount in this uh, 12, 12 minutes in this game. Uh, that's fine, but I was actually surprised to see him that early on in this one. Aaron Holiday played a little bit as well. 
Um, Bogey and Akongu after that, then Jalen Johnson. They, they played a 10 minute, a 10 minute rotation because Aaron started the second, second quarter and, uh, you know, kind of a, not a huge surprise there, but kind of a noteworthy, the, the sort of the order that it came in, in some ways. Um, when the Hawks actually, when Jokic went, went out of the game late in the first quarter, the Hawks were down by three points. And I wanted to mark that because I talked about this a lot, you know, Trey's on off splits are enormous. Uh, no one's on off splits are as big as Jokic's on off splits. Um, Jokic for the season, this is crazy, for uh, cleaning the glass, coming into the night, had the Nuggets being 23.8 points per 100 possessions better with Jokic on the floor versus off. Basically, they're the best team in the league when he plays, and they're the worst team in the league when he sits, and even more extreme than that. That is an absolutely bonkers number, and I want to circle that because the Hawks needed to take advantage of the, of the Jokic, uh, Jokic off minutes in this game. In the first half, they didn't do that. And that was part of why they were sort of uh, building that deficit that they were actually having by halftime. In the second half, they did win the they did win the minutes without without Jokic, which is important. But uh, no surprise here. But the, the Hawks lost this game by twenty points, right? Jokic had was plus twenty in thirty four minutes. So Jokic plus twenty in thirty four minutes. He was dead even. Uh, they were dead even with Jokic off the floor, and uh, that's not going to be good enough. The Hawks needed to win those minutes without Jokic. They did in one half, not the other. Um, the Hawks had offensively kind of cooled off a little bit at the end of the first quarter, but they were down by five after 12 minutes of action while shooting 65% from the floor. That's really, it's really hard to do to be down five shooting that well, just means they were getting killed everywhere else. And rebounding wise, turnover wise, it's about early on, early in the podcast. That was a problem early and it was a problem often in this game. And the Nuggets were making a lot of shots as well. Uh, I didn't really understand the Trent Forrest, Aaron holiday usage, not that they both played, that's fine. But I think generally speaking, Aaron Holiday, I've kind of joked and also not joked that Aaron Holiday is a three and D wing who happens to, who happens to be five ten basically. And I would have played him with DeJounte Murray and had Trent Forrest be the guy that was on the floor um without DeJounte. And they kind of largely flipped that around. I'm not really sure why. My idea was that they were using Trent to defend um Jamal Murray when DeJounte came out of the game. But that, that wasn't always the case either. So I'm not really sure what that was about. Uh, obviously, you rather have just one guy who is better than, th- than those guys, but they kind of uh, occupied and split one rotation spot in this game. Uh, the Nuggets went up by 10 early in the second quarter. The Hawks had their uh, kind of first really bad slow stretch offensively. They had two points in about four minutes to open the second quarter. They were probably lucky to be only, only down by eight at that point. Um, there was one example that was kind of a rough one where the Hawks had like, they had numbers in tradition. It was like a four on three break. And it ended up with a, with a Kongwu taking like a 17-footer. Not a terrible shot, but just not the shot you want when you have an advantage necessarily. And the Hawks were really kind of cratering on offense overall in the second quarter. At one point, they had nine points in like a seven-and-a-half-minute stretch. They had three turnovers. They were 4 three from the floor. And it stabilized a little bit. Then they gave up one more big run at the end of, this, at the, end of the first half. The Nuggets uh, closed on an 11-2 push to go up by 18 at halftime. And candidly, the Hawks being down 18 on the road, back-to-back in Denver – you kind of expect the Hawks to like give 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 up the game basically at that point in time. Not all the way, but certainly uh, that's what I was saying, saying before about the Hawks being kind of like valiant in the way they battled in this game because it was probably it felt it felt kind of over at halftime to be honest. Um, but generally speaking, the Nuggets were incredible on offense in the first half. They scored seventy points on fifty possessions. That's a one forty offensive rating. That is ludicrous. They had two turnovers and nine offensive rebounds. That's not the ratio you want if you're the Hawks. And uh, honestly, the shooting battle was pretty even. In the first half, the Hawks were down by 18, though, because everything else went badly. Um, only took eight threes in the first half. Again, that was the Trey absence impact and all of that stuff. They did have 15 assists, but uh, not a lot of juice beyond that. Um, after halftime, I thought it was actually kind of a sneaky, important thing. Uh, KCP went out for the Nuggets. He was not like great in the first half, 
but he's been really good this year, generally speaking, and he got re-rolled an ankle in the early going. The Hawks are no, we're down by 22 points with like 10 minutes to go in the third quarter, but then DeJounte got going. So DeJounte had an 8-0 run by himself. He had three jump shots, two of which were threes to get back into the game down by 14 points. Um, he actually played the whole third quarter because he was because he really had it going. Him and, or him and uh, Hunter both played the entire third quarter. The Hawks were pretty upset with the officiating throughout this game, but especially in the third quarter. And, and I know Hawks fans were saying that as well. I don't do a lot of officiating talk on the show. I will say the Hawks did not get in front of the whistle in this game. No question about that. But in the third quarter, uh, it was kind of came to a head a little bit. Um, Collins got called for his third foul on what was a pretty clean block, it seemed. Nate actually rarely would challenge that play, but because it was Collins' third and because it was a pretty obvious bad, a pretty obvious bad call, he challenges it. He usually saves that for the fourth quarter, but he, he didn't this time. And uh, it was overturned, and the Hawks got the ball. Actually, So it was actually a pretty, pretty impactful winning challenge. Um, and the Hawks kind of chipped away a little bit, got within 13 with like three minutes to go. Importantly, after they had a ton of turnovers in the first half, the Hawks were able to take care of the ball a lot better in the second half, especially in the third quarter. They had no turnovers for about 10 minutes in the third quarter. And that was part of the reason why they were able to cut into the lead down from uh, 22 down to like 12, 13 at the end. And the Nuggets finally got some uh, empty possessions on offense as well. But the Hawks went from, again, down 20 with six and a half minutes to go in the third quarter to down 11 at the end of the quarter. And that's what they had to do. They had to chip away. Yogi was on the bench for some of that. Murray had 15 points and created nine more points off turn off assists, I should say, in the third quarter. He was brilliant in that period, and they held the Nuggets to only 27 points on 26 trips, which is pretty excellent as well. Uh, and it, but because they played Murray and Hunter the entire fourth, sorry, the entire third, they kind of had to go with the bench unit to start the fourth quarter, and that actually worked. Out, that actually worked as well. Trent Forrest was pretty good in that stretch, and uh, with Jokic on the bench, that, this is a very important thing because Jokic being on the bench means that the Nuggets were flailing a little bit. And I thought a Kongwu, after kind of a rough first half, to be honest, was awesome in the second half. Like really, really, really good after halftime. And uh, there was a pretty funny stretch actually with like eight minutes to go where both teams just could not make a layup either doing either due to missing layups or just like having them blocked. It was Christian Brown. It was a Kongwu. It was a couple times around the rim. It was kind of just a funny sequence. But the Hawks were down by between eight points and 11 points for five and a half minutes straight in the fourth quarter. They just weren't right in that range. They were they couldn't they couldn't quite get into like five or six, and they were able to again impressively in my mind avoid like letting go of the rope. Akongo was a big part of that. He did a good, good job on Jokic in that point. The Hawks though had a couple chances though to like get it back to six with some makeable shots, just couldn't make them. And then Nate went back to the starters as he almost always does with like five minutes to go, and that did not work at all. I will at least note this now. I know this is not going to be a popular thing to even say out loud, even though it's not my this is not me me talking. I'm just giving you the rationale. Akongwu would have had to play like 15 and a half minutes straight to end the game if he stayed in the entire way, which is not really realistic. Um, it happens every once in a while, but that's a tough ask, obviously. And that group is playing well, but also, you know, he's going to go back to starters most of the time. I didn't have a huge problem with it. I think I would have gone, and I, I tweeted this in the moment, I would have closed with Akongwu. I think he was the better center in the second half in particular of this game. But, you know, it is what it is. It's worth noting the Hawks were down by 10 when the bench went back to the bench and the starters came back in. Down 10, six minutes to go on the road in Denver. You are a huge underdog. Was it going to be over? You never know that. But I don't think the Hawks lost this game, quote unquote, because of the substitutions there. I saw, I saw some of that reaction after the game. That's that's a pretty crazy thing to say. Obviously, the results did not go well after that. So no question about that. I think the anecdotal evidence there is not good. But uh, I'll just say, like, I get taking him out there because he couldn't. I shouldn't say he couldn't. He probably sh shouldn't have played the entire rest of the way in terms of minutes. 
but also also was playing well at that point in time so it's kind of it's kind of hard to do that anyway after that the game basically flipped uh the nuggets scored three times in a row Murray missed two jumpers in a row. They were kind of settled mid-rangers, and we talked about that a little bit earlier on with the Hawks just taking way too many mid-rangers in this game. And then uh, down by 14 at that point was pretty tough. And then the dagger really arrived with Jamal Murray hitting back-to-back, you know, difficult shots for sure. Like not even bad defense, just Murray shot-making display, essentially. He scored nine straight for Denver, and the, after the last one went down, they were up by 19, and it was basically over. The Hawks cleared the bench um, in a way that they don't always do. I was actually kind of surprised Nate did that although it was probably the obvious move. Um, and the Hawks, by the way, just stopped scoring. So it wasn't just the defense. It felt like it was defense at the end of the game because Murray kept scoring, but the, the Hawks only scored four points in about four and a half minutes uh, before the actual game ended. So like from like the seven-minute mark or so down to like the three-minute mark, they only scored four points. And uh, that was untenable on top of the shot-making from, from Jamal Murray. So anyway, a lot to get to there, but it's one of those things where like the Nuggets were the better team in this game. Uh, Murray... W- if, if Denver gets that from Murray, they're hard to beat, let's just say. And they, they like to group their guys together. Like Gordon, Murray, and Jokic play together a lot. And when they played, they dominated, essentially, in this one. When they didn't, they didn't. But that, that was kind of the difference in a lot of ways. And the Hawks lost the fourth quarter by nine points. I will say, again, if you didn't watch this game, the Hawks were much more competitive than minus 20 would indicate. This is a this was like this was an eight-point game with, like, I don't know, five and a half minutes to go. So they were right in this one. Was it going to be a win? Probably not but they were at least more competitive than these final score actually looks in this spot. All right, we'll get into the individual player breakdowns in a moment, and there's plenty to discuss there as well. But first, our last break to hear from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat this time of year, you don't want actually all the fat and calories that go along with it. You only need to try a Built Bar. Built Bar is fantastic because if you have a goal like I do to eat healthier and better this year, it's a perfect option for you. It actually tastes fantastic, and it's healthy as well. And Built Bar is also so delicious that you won't even believe that it's healthy, to be honest, because it has 100% real chocolate. Yes, real chocolate on the outside of the Built Bar. And they have a ton of awesome flavors. My personal favorite, cookies and cream, but they also have peanut butter brownie, coconut almond. The uh, the list goes on and on. And they have 100, only 130 calories plus 4 grams of sugar to go along with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And you have to wait a long time to actually get your Built Bars as well. For really a while now, I've been telling you to order your Built Bars at Built.com. And that's still a fantastic option. Built.com is a great website. They have all kinds of options for you. Uh, But if you don't want to wait that long, you can actually get your Built Bars right now at your local Sam's Club or Walmart. That's right. Walk into Walmart right now and grab a box of Built Bars immediately. Or if you're closer to a Sam's Club, get a 13-bar box at Sam's in a hurry. Make sure you check out Built Bar and dive in today. Okay, and we'll kind of ignore the total garbage time of uh, Frank Kaminsky and Vic Krejci in this game and focus on the guys who played real minutes. So that there were 10 of them. Uh, Aaron Holiday played eight minutes. He was 0-3 from the floor, had uh, zero points, three turnovers. Aaron was not good in this game. Uh, I think there's been a little bit too much negativity about Aaron Holiday in general this season. I think he's done a pretty decent job on, the, on a minimum contract, but he is overextended, and uh, I've made fun of it, but it's really true. He just can't run the offense. He, he's a 3-and-D wing. He cannot be the only point guard on the floor. And that was uh, very evident. There was one fast break that was a disaster that he was engineering. He just can't do it. And it is what it is. He's a limited player. On the minimum, it's totally fine. That was a good signing. But uh, him, he's just being overstretched. And that was that's part of the fallout of not having Trey. There's, there's nobody else to go to in that spot. Uh, Trent Forrest was fine, I thought. Two points in 12 minutes. He's, not, he's never going to be a high-impact offensive player, but he moves the ball. Defensively, he's pretty good. Uh, he had one nice layup in the fourth quarter. That was his only uh, attempt of the night. That was a nice bucket. So he was fine. He did his job, but obviously not going to blow your doors off by any means. 
Um, Akangwu, again, tail of two halves. I think in the first half, he was pretty brutal, actually. Uh, second half, really, really, really good. Six points, six rebounds, had three blocks. Um, three seven from the floor, not super efficient for Akangwu in this game, but the highs were very high in that, um, that, in that late third quarter or the fourth quarter stretch. First half is kind of like almost forgotten because of how good he was in the second half. But uh, I will say overall, over the last two days, he's been very, he was very good. Very good on Friday night. So uh, lots of lots lots of good signs from Okongwu in recent days. Um, but you know he was he was just okay on the whole. But it was because he was awesome awesome late and not so great early on. Jalen Johnson, eleven points, five rebounds, and a steal for Jalen in sixteen minutes. Took eight shots, five of eight from the floor, five seven from two. I thought Jalen was pretty good. He was actually dead even. He had the best plus minus on the team uh, at, at dead even in this game. I thought he kind of earned that. He was he was pretty solid off the bench. I love they they're gonna keep playing him, uh, they, and they should. And uh, he's been giving them good minutes in the last few games. And then Bogey, uh, eight points, five rebounds, three assists, three steals, and a block. He was at least active defensively in this one. Had five fouls, kind of funny there. Um, four of eight from two, uh, o of two on threes. Uh, Bogey, I, I saw some like really. I thought he was like okay. I think he, I think he was like pretty frisky defensively by his standards in this game. Offensively, didn't give them a whole lot. And they kind of needed something there that he didn't really give them in this game. But he was like kind of like a, you know, it was a C game for him, average. To the starters in this game, um, Capella was not great. It was 12 points, 11 rebounds for Clint. I thought he played okay in the first half in particular. Second half, he struggled a little bit. I thought Congo was definitely the better option after halftime. Um, Clint was not, uh, he had a couple of nice passes that, that I will say. No, no assists, but a couple of good moves from him, like good ball moving uh, opportunities from Clint. Um, but not his best work. And it's not a huge surprise to me that like the old guys didn't play great in this one uh, because back-to-backs like they hurt a little bit more as you get older and Clint and Bogey are the two oldest guys that play. And uh, they both had below average games, probably at least average or below average games. So not a huge surprise there. Uh, AJ Griffin played well. I thought 15 points four assists. I took 11 shots. He was under control the entire way. Uh, he had kind of a rough start, um, at least for a few minutes, but that was, he, once he settled in defensively, he was much more locked in after the first few minutes. And, uh, he was on the, he was on the floor when those the bet had some success in this one. So I thought he played well. I like, I like starting him again in this game. And I think that was a, a good sign moving forward on how he looked. Uh, Collins was not great. Six points, Four rebounds, three assists, and a block. He had the hard fall on Friday and said he was, uh, according to the broadcast, said he was sore coming into the night. Um, not a huge part of the offense, which is okay. Like there's some nights where uh, John is kind of—it's kind of enraging to me when he doesn't get the ball. In this game, I thought that wasn't necessarily a huge problem. Like him taking five shots is not good. I will say that, but I, I didn't say that to me that they were like just like freezing him out the way they have at times this year. Um, defensively, he was okay, but like he just kind of an anonymous game in a lot of ways and not not in the best way possible. For him, uh, Hunter had 20 again in this one. Um, not the most efficient necessarily. I mean, he was fine efficiency wise, just not crazy efficient. Uh, three, three rebounds, did have four assists. That's a good number for Hunter. Um, ball movement is not always his strength, so good to see that. Uh, defensively, he did a pretty good job on Porter at times in this one as well. And then Dejounte Murray, so 28 points, 10 assists for Dejounte, uh, two blocks and a steal. He uh, went seven of 13 on twos and three bait on threes. Um, seven free throw attempts is good for him as well. That's not always a huge strength of Dejounte's. And look, he did what you could ask him to do without Trey. Uh, he carried the offense when he was out there. The third quarter, when the Hawks were able to cut the lead uh, basically in half, was because Murray was awesome in that third quarter. So uh, he couldn't do it by himself. Nobody can. But I thought he was uh, he was quite good for the most part in this one. And then uh, obviously a little bit probably too mid-range heavy, but that's just going to be his game forever, I think. So I can't really pick that apart too much. And I thought Murray uh, gave him a lot in this spot. Okay, last thing before we get out of here on this Saturday, which is actually, it's now Sunday as I'm recording this podcast. A 
trade. I'm not sure it's a rumor, but it's a trade sparkler at this point. Uh, Mark Stein, who is an awesome reporter, of course, um, in his newsletter reported Saturday afternoon that the Hawks have some interest in Matisse Teibel. So most of the rumors or pseudo rumors even around the Hawks this entire cycle have been about the Hawks players going out. This is the first one in a while that's like actually about the Hawks liking a player on the outside. Obviously, there have been players bandied about in Collins trades, always Collins fake trades, but this is one that, where the Hawks actually like actively reportedly want a guy, and that is, that, that is Tybal. Now, there was nothing definitive in Stein's reporting about what the, what the return would be or how close it might be. He has talked about Sacramento being in the mix for Tybal, and there is some buzz that Philadelphia is going to look to move Tybal. I'll say this. I'll also say this. Uh, my friend Andrew Kelly said this on Twitter as well, and I agree with him. It isn't the best sign for Matisse Tybal that a contender and Philly is a contender this year obviously they're not the most trustworthy team historically but they're trying to win a championship this year and if they're opening up deals to trade him that isn't the best sign for how impactful he probably has been there recently but he's an expired contract four and a half million dollars or so this year then he'll be restricted free agent at the end of the season as is this is still his rookie deal actually he's pretty cheap the logical way if the Hawks were going to do this and again I'm not reporting any of this this is just Mark I'm, I'm now going to speculate on what I know um, and the logical way to get Tybal, if you are the Hawks, would be to trade Justin Holiday and something else, draft draft stuff for Tybal to Philadelphia. I'll say this now. I would not trade a first-round pick for Matisse, for Matisse Tybal. He has huge offensive limitations. I've argued he might be, I won't say the, he's one of the worst offensive perimeter players in the league. Full stop. Now, is he a good defender? Obviously. He's a habit creator. Um, you know, I think he's probably overrated as an on-ball guy defensively. I think Trey exposed that in the playoffs a couple years ago. But off the ball, he's a terror. Obviously, a very talented guy, first-round pick. And like, I think he would definitely help the Hawks. He's better than what they have, for sure. I'm not saying otherwise. But offensively, he is a work in progress to be kind. But all that said, he's cheaper than Holiday for the Hawks side. That, that's very helpful. Now, Philadelphia has their own considerations, too. For one, Justin makes more than – Tybal does, and it actually doesn't work one for one. So the money has to be a little bit closer. Um, maybe if like my fake trade would be like if you were to throw in Tyrese Martin, who's very very cheap from Atlanta, and take Paul Reed back, who's a little bit more money than Martin. That deal works in the trade in the trade machine. So anyway, we're not quite there yet, but um, I think that multiple avenues there. I think Philadelphia probably wants to get out of the tax trading Tybal, and the Hawks can't really do that for them unless they were to take Tybal for a cheaper guy. But if they do that, then the Hawks are on the tax, and they're not going to do that either. So uh, we'll see, as I'll say that. I don't think this is very close at this point in time. And uh, just for the record, I would guess, educatedly, but guess, that a holiday plus a single second-round pick won't get it done. I would imagine somebody else is going to offer at least that much or more. Uh, so I think if I had to guess what a deal would look like, it would probably be holiday in two seconds. If it's a first, I will criticize that. I think that's a bad idea. But if it's a holiday in two seconds – Nah, I don't love it, but it's fine. We'll get into that more later on if we want to or if we need to. But uh, I thought it was always interesting that, that a new name popped up. And uh, it's kind of in that vein that Tower and I, Tower and Rose and I talked about this last week about like a player who is in that salary range is cheap enough, kind of a second draft guy in Tybal. Um, again, I'm not a huge believer in the offense really at all, but he's a guy who at least can function, can play. He's obviously has a great trait. He's a great defender, at least, on, at least off the ball as a habit creator. So, Notable, and we'll get into that more if the uh, reporting ramps up in the coming days. But as a reminder, the deadline is Thursday afternoon, 3 p.m., and the Hawks will only have one game between now and then. The Hawks play Tuesday night in New Orleans, 
that was supposed to be a TNT game. It's not anymore. Um, I will have at least one podcast, which I'm planning to between now and then. So uh, stay tuned for all that. Please subscribe to the podcast. But again, the Hawks had a busy week this week, but now only one basketball game for the Hawks between now and the deadline on Thursday afternoon. They actually play about five hours later at home against the Suns. But we'll have full coverage as always. Please subscribe to the show across platforms. If you want to do me a favor, the best way to do that is to subscribe and auto-download the show. Um, multiple times, as well as to follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Follow the show on Twitter at Lots on Hawks. Follow my Patreon if you would like to do that to support me there. Patreon.com slash BT Roland. Thank you, as always, for listening to the show, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll see you all next time.